Welcome to Renewed by the Word with Pastor Edwin from Redeemer Church, Miami. We are glad you can join us today. Please grab your Bibles as we walk through the Word of God together this morning. We're glad that you're with us uh, today on this Pentecost Sunday. If you have your Bibles and you want to turn me very quickly to Acts chapter 2, uh, it'll be kind of in the, if you go to the New Testament, you keep hanging a right after Luke and John, you'll see Acts right there. Chapter 2, it'll be behind me here on the screens in the church. And for those of you who are at home and watching us this morning, we thank you for joining us. And it'll come over your screens in just one second. I know we just sat down, but can we stand for a moment as a show of respect to God's word? Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, we'll read through verses 21. Word of God. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard the, the, the disciples speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phygera, Pamphylia, Egypt, and other parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what the, was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show you wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Let's pray together, church. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can pause on this beautiful Sunday morning, come before your presence and worship. And now, turn our attention to your word. I pray that we would have hearts prepared to receive what you have for them this morning, not me. I pray that minds would be renewed and that souls would be refreshed as we sit here and delight being in your presence. Heavenly Father, thank you that today there is an audience of one and it's you. And we stand before you. We stand before your throne. And all this is happening before you. So, Heavenly Father, I pray that you would delight in what you hear and what you see this morning. Examine us. Search us. Know our minds. Know our hearts. Know our souls. We have come seeking you. Speak to us. Fill this place with your glory. And may we know that today we have been on holy ground. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, church. You may be seated. Well, once again, we uh, thank you for joining us this morning. Great to see all of you here. 
Pentecost Sunday. I'll take you into the meaning of it, but uh, you probably already heard the term before, uh, kind of the birth of the church. And if we would have kept reading in that second chapter of Acts, you would have seen Peter continue on his sermon, and then the first 3,000 come into the fold. But today we're not going to go that far. Uh, today we want to lay down the groundwork for this new series, which you see here behind me. Uh, let me just remind you where we've been. Uh, we did our Next Step series, which was kind of Jesus presenting the ministry, presenting uh, the new word of God being spoken. We kind of examined that, and we talked about how he was almost a professor in a classroom showing these disciples what, what it's supposed to be like, what is this, they're supposed to know, what they're supposed to say. And then we, we stepped into our ready, set. We never put the word go there, ready, set, go. We eliminated go because we wanted to see Jesus appearing to his disciples over the course of those 40-something days before this event. And what was he going to teach them? So now the professor had taken these disciples aside. He sat them down across the table and said, okay, so you saw me say this. You saw me, you know, perform these miracles. You saw the power over sickness, over death, over nature. Now here is a more intimate teaching, right? So we talked to Thomas. We talked to Mary. He prepared a breakfast by the seaside over in Galilee, restoring Peter. So here the professor kind of gets them ready for their career, for their internship, and now here is that first step out. You see Peter kind of stand up, and we'll talk about that more in just one second. <clears throat> so that's what kind of leads us into this morning. Now let's just talk about Pentecost for a moment to make sure that we're all on the same page. Um, Israel has three main festivals, three biggies, as you would say, we would say in our, in our day and age. You have Passover, Pentecost, and then the Feast of Tabernacles. The two big ones were Passover and Pentecost. Passover was when Jesus Christ reinterprets right, the bread and the cup into his own body and his own blood. He is arrested, he is crucified, he is buried, he resurrects. Now 50 days later is when you have the Feast of Pentecost. Now, Pentecost was just a touch different. Pentecost celebrated the harvest. In other words, all the farmers and the people on the countryside would make a trek into Jerusalem. Everybody would bring two little loaves of bread and offer it and kind of give it to the priest at the temple. Now, the other thing that Pentecost celebrated was the giving of the law at Mount Sinai. In other words, the moment that Moses receives the tablets, that he walks down the mountain, he finds them worshiping a golden calf. We melt that thing, we destroy it, and then he breaks them, and we have to get them one more time. But nonetheless, that's what it commemorated, the giving of the law. So it's with this festival in mind that this is happening. Now, let's put ourselves into kind of the timeline. Jesus appears to the disciples for about 40-some-odd days, and he has ascended now. So there's a gap of about 9 to 10 days where they're just kind of waiting. And they're wondering, what is the next step? Will it be my turn? As you see here behind me, what's going to happen now? Because he's gone, he's given us his last words, and he told us to just wait. To wait for the Spirit, to wait for power. And so here we are just kind of waiting. And that takes us to our first observation, which is this room. Right? So here we go into this room. Now, Pentecost, being one of the major festivals, would have brought in a huge crowd. So think of it this way. Ancient world, people don't travel too much, so you would have had a massive crowd for Passover. Most of that crowd, half of it would have probably left and gone back home. Now there would have been a new massive crowd coming in because this was one of those festivals where if you were old enough, the tradition said you made your last trip to Jerusalem. So wherever you ended up living spread out to the Roman Empire, you kind of came in and you find yourself a little place to live and you got a job at a farm or you start to do your carpentry and you just kind of waited your days to die. So Pentecost really filled up the city beyond capacity. So here are the disciples in this upper room 
They're waiting. They've been going downstairs. They, you know, they, they grab a snack. Uh, you know, they make their way over to do some groceries. They're waiting for their crocodigas at Pinecrest over here. And they go to eat at a restaurant over here. And they're just kind of waiting. And there's this massive now crowd pouring into the city and pouring into the city and pouring in. So this thing is just as full, if not more full, than Passover. Now remember, church, some of the people who yelled crucify him to Jesus are still in this crowd. They're still there. They haven't left yet because the, the, the festivals were so close to each other that some people just stayed. So you did Passover and Pentecost, two birds with one stone, and then I went back home to wherever home was. So while the disciples are in the room and they're just kind of waiting, you have this massive crowd downstairs. And we'll show you, when we talk about the crowd, we'll show you where they're all from uh, on a map so you can take a close look at it. So here's this room. It could be the same room where Jesus reinterpreted the Passover First communion, you can kind of use that term there. It could be another house that they were renting. We are not sure. But what we do know is that these disciples, basically the main 12, with an extended group of 120, is who's there. They're kind of hanging out. They're kind of waiting for this promise that Jesus gave them. So you can look at it almost as an incubator. These men and women are just kind of sitting there, and they're going to be under a hot lamp in order to get ready to finally crawl out of that, put some shoes on, and head out into the real world. And so in that room is where you're going to find expectation. You're going to find hope. You're going to find a little bit of fear, a little bit of anxiety, but they're there and they're looking for God. They're seeking God's face. They're seeking his presence. And then God shows up. You see, God loves a good party. I don't know if you're aware of that. God loves a really good party. And here, the crowd, the town square is filled with people brimming all over the place. And there, and because it's a festival, especially when Pentecost day arrives, there's no work. So everyone's just kind of hanging out. And now we're upstairs, and this is just God's perfect ordained moment where I'm going to prepare these men and women to preach my gospel about Jesus. Oh, and by the way, there's these, you know, couple of thousand or more, a couple of hundred thousand people, if not bordering on the million, stuffed into this small city called Jerusalem. So what happens? The scripture tells us that it's the sound almost like the blowing of a wind. So imagine, for those of you who've lived through a hurricane, for those of you who've been here in Miami, I don't know if you remember the roar of the hurricane. It sounds almost like a locomotive is going by your house. If you've been close to a tornado, it kind of sounds the same way. It just says it's like a violent wind. This is something that is miraculous. This is supernatural. This is beyond what our eyes and ears and our minds understand. So when Luke writes this down, he's like, you know, it just sounded like a hurricane. That's the best that I can make of what happened in that room. So they're sitting in this room, and all of a sudden this violent kind of, let's just use the word wind for argument's sake, kind of starts blowing through there. Now, it shouldn't surprise us, because God loves to show up in the terms of, of wind and spirit. Whenever God, whenever the Bible talks about God in the spirit form, it's talking about giving life, giving new life. So you have these men and women who had followed Jesus for these three and a half years, and they, they're, they're good people. They've been restored. They know a lot. They're, they're ready for the next step. But they need that God life inside of them. They're still missing that last little piece of the puzzle. Because whenever God's spirit shows up, whenever the Holy Spirit shows up, one of its signature moves is to give life. Now, how does this apply to you today? Listen, church, you have two options. You can try to Obey your way and behave your way into the kingdom. It probably won't work. Just giving you a heads up, it probably won't work. Or you could do it this way, where these men and women are just hearts open, hands open, and they're saying, okay, God, what is it? 
Fill me. Fill me and point me in the right direction. And God always shows up to people who are ready to be filled. There's a curious uh, uh, phrase in Acts chapter 5, which we'll get to in a couple of weeks from here, because we're going to spend a couple of weeks in the book of Acts, that talks about how God gives his spirit to those who obey. So there's a sense when as you press deeper into the scriptures, as you press deeper into the presence of God, God responds back by filling you with more and more of the Spirit. What does it look like? Imagine that we have a jar of water here. Let's just pretend there's a jar of water in front of me. It's got a top on it, right? Depending on your obedience, if, if you want to say, Lord, I am here, I am yours, do with me as you will, my life is yours, it's not mine anymore, you're going to pull that flap back and whatever gets poured in, it's going to fill it up. But then there's some of us, and we all have moments of it, some of us fight for a lifetime, where we keep the lid kind of closed. Right? Lord, just, and, and so imagine kind of a stream kind of poured in and it's, it's falling out. Only a little bit is trickling in because you have the container head closed. And what I'm saying to you this morning is, if you want your Christian life to take that next step, if you keep asking yourself, why is this so frustrating? Why don't I get the scriptures? Why does God seem far away? Why do I keep tripping and falling over? Why do I think, and, and, and correctly so, that I'm not, I just can't behave my way into heaven. I just can't good person my way into heaven. You know, that's kind of nagging me in the back of my mind. Then what I say to you is, pull the flap off the thing. And allow the Spirit to, to indwell you, to fill you, to overflow. These men and women were Spirit-filled people. And when they were Spirit-filled people, they were Spirit-empowered people. And as Spirit-empowered people, their life had direction and it had purpose. And if you're sitting here this morning, you're saying to me, well, you know, I don't know if I made the right career move or do I make the next move or not or what's going to happen with the family. And what's gonna... Then I say to you, you know what? You're covering the, 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 the container. You're covering it. Because the more of the Holy Spirit you have in your life, the clearer the vision gets, the more you align yourself with God's purposes. That's the wind, the life-giving, life-guiding power of God. But there's more. That's the sound, the sight. So just picture in your mind a ball of fire in the middle of, of the room. Just a ball of fire. And it says it looks like fire. That's the most that they can make of it. And then it tears off into little pieces and you have like a little flame kind of on top of everybody's head. You know, it's, it's not baby shark, but nonetheless, it's like, you know, you got the little flame up here. And so all of a sudden, you know, these people are, are experiencing yet another aspect of God. He brings life through wind and, and the spirit, but then he also shows his presence in fire. Can I ask you a very quick question? And this is a, a quick trivia question, but you should know the answer. What was at the top of the mountain when Moses and Israel was at the bottom of the mountain and Mount Sinai? What was covering the top of the mountain? Fire. Signaling his presence is up above. It's there. Let, another trivia for you, church. When Moses had run away from Egypt because he killed an Egyptian because he was hurting the Hebrew slaves and he's out there hiding as a shepherd, he sees a burning what? A burning bush. It's on fire, but it's not consuming itself. And who starts talking out of that fire? God does. So the presence of God loves to show itself as fire. So what you have here in this little room is God invading their space. And the way that his presence loves to show up is fire. Now you know that you're dealing with God himself. And what does fire bring? It brings purity. It brings purity. How many times, and I know my mother did this to me a bunch of times when I was a kid, did you get a little splinter in your fingertip, and you're there crying, and you're kind of complaining. What did your parents do? They got a needle, they lit a, a match, they put it there, and then they dug it out. Why? To purify it. So we won't put any germs inside. Same thing. 
Here comes God's fire and it's purifying them. It's preparing them because it's his presence in order to step out into the town square. And then the speech. So sound, sight, and speech. Now they have something to say. Because for three and a half years, they watched the master. They watched the Lord touch lepers, make paralyzed people walk, forgive paralytics their sin. They saw him walk on water. They saw him perform miracles of fish. They saw him still a storm. They heard the new word from God to people. And then after that, they had the one-on-ones. Jesus dealing with them, restoring them, kind of giving them their confidence and courage back. So you put all these things together, and all of a sudden, when they're filled with the Spirit, they're like, you know, we have something to say. Do you remember when you got your first job? Your very, very first job. And I remember my first job, official job, was over at FIU. They told me, here's what you got to do, and here's what the job looks like. And then you sit at the desk, and you're like, what am I supposed to be doing right now? I have no idea what I'm here and why am I behind this desk, you know? And, and so, the, you know, what do we all do? We, we organize, right? We get stickies and we get our pens and pencils and erasers. If we figure if we just organize, we'll be okay. But you have no idea what you're doing. Ah, but then comes that supervisor. Then comes that job description that says, well, you know, you're supposed to be doing X, Y, Z. And the people over here always do this in the morning. And then you take lunch. And, then, and all of a sudden you're like, oh, I, I, I know how to. I've observed that I had seen it happening, but now I'm actually going to do it. Now they have something to say. The new era is being, being born. The church is about to be born. They're filled for a purpose, poured out for a reason. And now they're going to be witnesses and there's a mission to do. But they've got to leave the room. Which slowly brings us to our next, our next point. You see, the room was a place of power. The room was a place of life. The room was a place of purity. The room was a place of putting it kind of together together but now eventually you've got to move out of that room and this has been this is one of my major points with our church here and you hear me say constantly engage someone with the gospel there are too many people who are in love with the room which is a great thing by the way right they want to be in the presence of Christ and they want to be in worship and they want to hear the word right but they stay in the room when there's an entire town square millions around surrounding the house and they need to hear what you have to say. So as much as you love being in a Bible study, as much as you love being in the worship, as much as you love being here, I say to you, when you walk out those doors, it's not just to go hide in the other room of your house. Okay, well, we, God is here with us, and, and we're just going to hold it together. No, 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 no. You take the gospel out to those who hear it. They're in the town square, and they're waiting for you. Of course, we're just, I'm laying down groundwork. We'll dig into this deeper in the next few weeks. So our second point, the people. Here's where we have the map for you. I want you to see where all these people came from. We'll have the map for you just in one second. In this festival, here you can see the map behind me. For those of you at home, you can probably see it next to me or over your screens. Look at where they came from. In other words, this is the known world. What the scripture wants you to see, and this is Luke who is writing, by the way. Luke, who was Paul's partner. It, this is as far as the horizons go. So there were Jews kind of spread throughout all of the Roman Empire, have been spread from conquest from before. And you can see as far as Rome, down here in Arabia, Egypt to my left, and you can see how the entire world comes. Isn't it interesting how God puts people together? God calls people together however he wants and whenever he wants. And he uses this particular, we'll leave the map up for a second, Gigi, thank you. He, he uses this particular festival to bring the entire world to finally hear the gospel for the first time. You might say to yourself, but wait a minute, why doesn't Jesus stick around for a festival such as this and get up and preach? Well, that's just not the way God ordained it. 
because then it would be a little bit too easy, right? Then, there, then we would always kind of have that crutch of Jesus, and we are made to stand on our own two feet and preach the gospel with our own lips, not just having him standing next to us like some kind of bodyguard, like some kind of parent. It's like, no, 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 don't be shy. Go ahead and move forward. God pulls that self, that thing right out right, right away. He wants his people to be grown up, mature, in expectation, filled with power, filled with life, to take the word out to other people who desperately need it. Look at what happens to these people in the text. It says that when they hear this noise, they're bewildered. And when the, when the disciples start talking, they are amazed. Not only does God love to bring people close to himself, he begins to call people to himself. But then when you start, and this probably happened maybe to some of you. When you have talked to someone about Jesus, it just kind of rocks their world. It ruffles their feathers. Sometimes they get mad. Sometimes they dismiss you. Sometimes they might take a step back. They won't call you for a couple of weeks. You know, they might not Facebook you for a couple of weeks because the gospel ruffles feathers. It really throws people off to figure out that there is a God that they are accountable to and that God took this action in his son to rescue and redeem them. And now there's a choice to be made. And that just kind of ruffles people's feathers, and it ruffled these people's feathers. The gospel makes noise, church. The gospel makes noise in people's lives. So don't be shocked. Don't be shocked when you talk to, and you think it's an innocent conversation at work. Oh, how was your week? And oh, I went to church on Sunday. Really? What? Well, my pastor just talked about one or two little things. And this person just, blah, on you. Don't be, don't be shocked. When that happens, don't be shocked when you're at a little kid birthday party and you're talking, oh, yeah, because, you know, have you ever, oh, why don't you come to my church? And Jesus, and also the person's like, oh, don't, don't be surprised. The gospel ruffles feather. It bewilders people, it confuses them, and it amazes them all at the same time. But into that confusion, God always sends his word. God always sends his truth because Peter's going to stand up and he's going to speak into that confusion, speak into the amazement, speak into the bewilderment. And yes, God will use you. God will use you, church. Don't be afraid of it. Don't be shy. But you say, but pastor, I just, I don't know as much Bible as you do. You don't have to know as much Bible as I do. You don't have to go to seminary to share Jesus with someone. What people want to know is this belief in God and this following Jesus that you keep telling me about, this joy that you seem to kind of have, this satisfaction that you seem to kind of carry with yourself, tell me how it happened and tell me how it works out in real life. And you just share your life. You know, there were moments when I was down and I felt alone. That God came and rescued and God healed and I learned. All you share is your story, your God story woven in, and it's called a testimony. We're not asking you to be Bible scholars. We're asking you to just be real people, sharing the beauties of what God has done. Because what you haven't figured out yet is that the individual who's talking to you about God or asking you about God, they are just like this crowd. They've come from somewhere. Oh, we took the map down right. They've come from somewhere far away in their own life, in their own journey, not necessarily physically, but just, you know, from when they were as a kid, the hopes, the dreams, the expectations, to where they are now, it's been a long road. And they're a little bit, okay, I feel good about where I am, but you know, and, and it feels like they kind of limp a little bit, and now you are there. God bringing them to you for you to be that spark, that wind of life in their life, and to bring change the same way that the disciples would bring change to here. But there comes a moment where we have to stand up. Verse 14, then Peter stood up with the eleven raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Don't be surprised when you have to raise your voice. Please don't scream at anybody. And don't tell them I gave you permission to do that. But there comes a time when you got to speak up 
for Jesus. You can only sit through so many office conversations or so many birthday parties and hear the same kind of droning from an individual who keeps asking the same God questions until you, like Peter, stand up and speak up and say, you know, see, here's the thing about the way you view God. And you know, here's the thing about Scripture. And respectfully, in love, you give them truth. You give them gospel. You give them Jesus who came to die for them. Not, not this whole gigantic Bible. No, Jesus came to die for you because God loves you. And now what are we going to do about it? Peter stands up. It was his turn. Now it's your turn, church. Your turn. Thank you for joining us today on Renewed by the Word. Our desire and hope is that your time in the Word with Pastor Edwin will continue God's renewal in your entire person and life. For more information about Redeemer Church Miami and Pastor Edwin, visit their website, RedeemerChurchMiami.org. That's RedeemerChurchMiami.org. May God bless you richly, and we look forward to being with you next week.